Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome into the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. I'm J.C. Sherbert. Appreciate all of you listening today on a Monday. Uh, always good to get the first scrimmage uh, out of the way when you're talking about covering a, a preseason in college football. I know I always enjoy uh, the first scrimmage and the reports that come through it. It's kind of uh, kind of like a symbol uh, of, okay, this is for real. They're doing it. And with all the uh, talk about there not being a season, I think uh, it's just another positive step in the right direction as far as 2020 goes. And the Gamecocks, of course, will kick it off uh, here in under a month, 27 days. Tennessee comes to Williams-Brice Stadium for the season opener. Probably will get like the TV – uh, and kickoff time, I, I think this week. I, I think I, I just have a feeling, you know, based on what I've read here and there, picked up here and there, that we'll have a kickoff time probably for the first two weeks uh, here in the next couple of weeks. Of course, the Gamecocks go to the Swamp to play Florida uh, in week two. So, you know, kind of looking at it, uh, Will Muschamp um, spoke with the media after the scrimmage. You know, it's not like it used to be where, you know, when Spurrier was at South Carolina, they do stats and stuff like that. So you go, oh, and and look, I, Muschamp's not going to put that out, and I don't mind it. I mean, I think, you know, of course, as far as our jobs go, uh, scrimmage stats are like much, uh, uh, you know, much easier to kind of follow things and stuff like that. But it's um, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I think it can also get overrated a little bit. You know, you have a quarterback situation, a quarterback battle, uh, and I know everyone has their opinions as far as Hill versus Holinsky, um goes. And, uh, you know, if, if Ryan completed three more passes uh, than Colin, but Ryan's reps were against the fourth team, we don't know that, always sees the numbers, and people take it and run with it and – all of a sudden, it's not so much the positive end of it that, that, that I think is unfair. I think it's the negative because you sit there and you go, well, this guy was only this. Ergo, you know, he shouldn't be the starter or whatever. Uh, and you just don't know because so much of the scrimmage is situational. You know, they do so much work inside the 30 red zone stuff. I mean, third down stuff. Uh, it's all live and they don't have coaches on the field, which is, I think, the single most important part of scrimmaging. Um because in practice, you know, you have the coaches there, right there with you, back behind the huddle or behind the line of scrimmage. They're lining people up. They're real hands-on. But off the field, the guys have to go do it. Muschamp mentioned that a couple of times. Uh, and I think that's just the most important thing. It's game simulation because we don't have, like, scrimmages against other teams in college football or exhibition games, uh, which is something that, you know, topically when we get back to normal, I'd probably like to address because I think there's a need for it. But – you know, at the same time, just like I said with the scrimmage stats, you could have coaches getting fired or fans wanted to fire a coach based on a scrimmage. You know, especially if it's a if it's FCS team or something, you go scrimmage uh, and you lose. I mean, ask Frank Martin about that. You know, they, they lost an exhibition game a few years back and the world was coming to an end. So, you know, <laughs> when you think about things, uh, you know, in that situation, you know, you, you, people tend to overreact. But uh, not going to talk about 
scrimmages or preseason games now because I'm just happy there's going to be a season. Just go play. That That's my mantra with all these topical things as far as how we could tweak scheduling in college football, et cetera, et cetera. Right now, just go play. We'll talk about all that in the offseason, and hopefully we look back on it and go, man, you know, that was kind of a fun deal to do 10 SEC games and, you know, that we can get in as to whether or not that's right for the future, et cetera, et cetera. So it's game simulation. Um, you know, listening to the press conference, number one, I, w- I want to say this, you know, just on a and, – and I know the guy takes a lot of crap. Uh, and it's because, you know, he hadn't won and he had a losing season. He was 4-8 and eight last year. Um, <clears throat> things have not gone well in the last uh, 22 ball games for him. I think 6-16 six and 16 is the record. Um, you know, for Will Muschamp, is it 6-16? Six and 16? No. I, I, I misspoke. 6-11 and 11 in the last 17 games. I'm sorry. Um and, and, you know, that's tough, right? and, and it's a bottom-line business, and I think Will Muschamp will be the first one to tell you that. Uh, you got to win games. But I will say this, just as a human being and looking around at college football at other places and some of the challenges that they've had uh, in terms of their players uh, kind of revolting and being upset about things and, you know, not buying in, and then they, they there's COVID issues at different schools. Um, and it's not been the massive mess like most people want to, you know, put it out there to be. There was an article in the Cleveland Plain Dealer from Ohio State Territory where the writer, you know, some of these writers, especially in the Midwest, are starting to kind of look at it like, well, maybe the, you know, maybe the Big Ten players and, and coaches and parents have a point. You know, but this guy was he's still holding on to the the dream that that maybe the Big Ten was right. And look, hey, I say the dream, that's based on what I know right now. You know, if everything shuts down and there's no season, obviously the Big Ten made the right decision. Uh, but right now, it looks like they kind of jumped the gun. And um, and I continue to say, you know, you've got high school football, Temple, Pitt, uh, the Steelers and Eagles all playing in Pennsylvania, but not Penn State. Tell me how that makes sense. Um, you know, so, so, so there's that, but, you know, I, I think that when you look at other programs and, and, and some of the, maybe the issues they've had and some of the bad publicity, uh, and, and some of the bad publicity is ridiculous in my opinion, but South Carolina's largely avoided that, you know, and today they've canceled all football related activities. They're going to go to campus and peacefully protest. And well, Muschamp said he's standing behind his players and, you know, that kind of thing is is underrated uh, when you talk about football, college football, the relationships you build within the sport and all that. It goes in a giant funnel and directly impacts recruiting. So people want to people want to know well, how, how did you beat Clemson on Zach Pickens and, and how did you beat the whole country on Jordan Birch and how did you convince Marshawn Lloyd to come to South Carolina? And it's just because these guys. Um, starting with Will Muschamp, he sets the tone. I mean, in the coaching staff, they're generally good people that players want to play for. Um, and, you know, for the bottom liners out there, and look, I'm one of them. I, I think, you know, and I think Will Muschamp's one of them. At the end of the day, it's a business and you have to win enough games. And, and that's that's the bottom line. But, you know, again, you look at the, the other stuff and, you know, you look at the leadership that's taking place this offseason and the leadership that's being developed within the team on the roster, all those are positive things. It, 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 and they're all things that, like, 
All right. So it doesn't guarantee you you're going to win, but you're not going to win a lot of the time if you don't have that. Uh, and I'll use LSU as an example from last year. You know, obviously, you know, fixing their offense was a big, big deal. And Joe Burrow having the year was a big – the Heat had was a big, big deal. Okay. But you watch that team as the season went on, and and they not only, you know, played like they were invincible, they acted like they were invincible. And they had confidence. And you look at that, you know, you're sitting there playing Clemson – that has a world of experience uh, playing for national championships, not to remind you guys of this, but they've been in every national championship game with the exception of 2017 since 2015. Uh, they got Trevor Lawrence, their quarterback who started and won one against Bama the year before they jump up 17, seven LSU didn't even panic. They didn't even flinch. Uh, and that has more to do with who they were and, and kind of the leadership that developed then, you know, Joe Burrow is really good at football and they got great receivers and their offense is dynamic. Um, and so that's the deal. I mean, you know, you, 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 you see teams that, that have more talent that don't have the leadership and they, they sometimes struggle. That's why you have coaches that get fired that recruit in the top five, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and that's why I always say, you know, there's more to winning and losing uh, than just numbers and star ratings and production and height and weight and things like that. So much of this game is between the ears and inside the chest, and you have to sort of develop that as best you can as a coach, and I think Will Muschamp's done that. So lots of praise for the head coach at South Carolina right now. Um, just been impressed. And it's hard to see that, I know, because the fan base and, you know, I, you guys uh, who I really respect and, you know, y'all are all in some ways like a – extended family to me. <laughs> uh, I will be here long after Will Muschamp is, God willing, and the creek doesn't rise. Um, and that's not a negative on him or whatever. You know, heck, he may start winning and go to the NFL or whatever, and he may retire someday and ride off to the sunset, and I'll still be here, and so will you guys, God willing. Um, and, and, you know, but I – and so that said, I think this fan base – uh, just it's tough to, to swallow anything, but hey, when are they going to start winning? You know, and and everything is magnified now. You know, the whole Luke Doty should or should not be practicing at receiver thing is crazy. You know, it's just crazy some of the reactions to it, both positive and negative. You know, you got half the people that say he's the next Julian Edelman, and half the people that say. They're stunning his growth and development as a quarterback. Um, none of those things are necessarily true. Luke Doty's going to be on the field. He's a great athlete. Um, he can help. He's not your average freshman. Uh, everybody that I've talked to says that, and I think he could you know, play some quarterback as well um, this year. Muschamp did say he's among the top five or six receivers. The depth chart for receiver that sort of came out was similar to mine. Um a little bit. Uh, Jalen Brooks, uh, I've said this, I think he's the linchpin to the whole thing. I think he gives them another guy that's an older player that's played college football. He's got a lot of the same skill set Brian Edwards did. I'm certainly not going to say he's as good as Brian because Brian's probably a lot better than we all thought, don't you think, uh, considering what he's doing with the Raiders? Uh, you know, but I do think it's six foot three, 200 pounds that can run take the top off a of defense from what Muschamp said, 
you know, this is a guy they really need to get eligible because I think he solidifies it because then you have, you know, you have Brooks who's fast enough and who's got some experience. You have Shai Smith who's very fast. Uh, and then Xavier Leggett, some people say he's the fastest guy on the team. Um, and so that's, that's, that's speed right there. Then you go behind him and you got to carry and Joyner probably more quick than fast, but exceptionally explosive athlete. Um, Luke Doty, who I mentioned, who's obviously very, very fast. And then a young promising freshman Enrico powers who can also take the top off the defense. So, you know, him saying that kind of laying that out combined with the fact that just almost after every practice, you keep hearing, well, the offense had some explosive plays today. I'm pretty happy with that. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, Saturday, Muschamp was not happy with his second defense, um, which, you know, <laughs> that's a concern, obviously. Uh, you know, so so you look at it and you're like, every day you hear about explosive plays, explosive this, explosive that, and you kind of start thinking, well, gosh, these guys are practicing well. I mean, we kind of heading into the year, I, I sort of thought the Gamecocks would need to be a team that the defense has to kind of carry them, you know, not going to put up a ton of points or whatever. I keep going back to the 2000 Gamecocks where, you know, that offense was good enough, but, you know, it wasn't exactly a, a juggernaut that went up and down the field. You know, Derek Watson would break some long runs. and You know, you'd have some good pass plays. And Skip Holtz called a great year that year, uh, calling plays and stuff. And we all remember the fade, and we all remember, you know, beating Arkansas when Shannon, Waddy, Bo, Shannon Body Bags Wadley knocked the crap out of that running back. I'll never forget that. And, you know, going to the swamp, getting up 21-3. to three, You know, you had a heartbreaking loss to Tennessee at home. But that defense kept Carolina – around in those games and uh, and you know I didn't even mention the Clemson game that year because I don't want to mention that but it, it, it's a situation where I, I thought you know maybe they could be kind of similar to that because there is a lot of talent returning on defense <coughs> excuse me uh, water please uh but maybe maybe not you know I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again <laughs> I always say that uh maybe not maybe this this offense can can do some things uh, as long as these guys continue to come on and it's not like a, a fake practice deal where, you know, yeah, these guys are really good in practice, but it's a whole different ball game once they get on the field. Now, and I'm going to tell you this, Tennessee is good in the secondary. You know, we all know who Bryce Thompson is. Alante Taylor's very good back there. Um, they have some ball players uh, in the secondary. So these receivers, South Carolina's receivers, are not going to have an easy go of it right off the bat if they want to throw the ball up and down the field. So they're going to have to get open and do some things against uh, against what will be probably Jeremy Pruitt's best secondary at Tennessee. And keep in mind, too, he's kind of a secondary guru. Um, so they'll be well coached and, and all that. So the challenge for this receiver group comes right away. And the passing game, quarterbacks, whoever wins the job, you know, no update on the job. Uh, I think both have had their moments. I think, you know – Again, based on what I've heard, this is not my opinion. This is just uh, – I can't stress that enough. I got accused today on the message board of saying that uh, on the bigspur.com that, you know, I, I didn't like Ryan Holinsky. No, it's not the case. All I've said about Ryan Holinsky is this, and these are facts. Ryan Holinsky has to improve from last year. And honest to God, you say that about every quarterback – that's a, that starts as a true freshman. I mean, you know, Jake Bentley needed to get better for 2016 to 2017, and he did. 
quite frankly. Um, you know, same with Ryan Helensky. Trevor Lawrence needed to take a step forward. Deshaun Watson from his true freshman year to the next year needed to take a step forward. Sam Howell at North Carolina will need to take a step forward. Um, that that's that's just obvious. I mean, that that's just obvious. And you know, stripping away the how hurt was he thing, um, was he healthy, you know, the play calling whatever, you know, there were things he needed to get better at, you know, think about the Florida game, some of the big plays they left on the field, both in terms of play calling and in terms of him misfiring or whatever. I mean, you know, and there's other examples of that and um, he's got to get better. And then that's the case with most players. <laughs> so I, I don't think I'm saying anything earth shattering. Uh, and, and number two, Hill is battling him for the job, and there's a slight advantage right now internally for Hill. Slight. We've still got a month before they play. Probably we're about two, three weeks, two weeks away from them even thinking about naming a starter, so there's plenty of time. Um, and, no, I, I don't dislike Ryan Holinsky. I think Ryan Holinsky is one of the, the best human beings on the roster. I think he's a good person. I, I covered his – I didn't cover Tyler. I covered Kelly when Kelly Holinsky was a quarterback. I remember seeing Tyler at a seven on seven competing. Um, you know, so I've, I've known like the Holinsky brothers for years and they're all good people. So I, I don't know. It, it's funny. Lou Holt said a long time ago when they were talking about, uh, I was about the quarterback battle. I think Pinkins was battling Mitchell and Newton and, Maybe this is 04, and he's like, I don't want to get into who's doing good because the minute you do that, everybody's going to say this other person's bad, and that's not the case. And Lou Holt said a lot of wise things during his tenure as a coach. Um, again, I'm not – I'm not. those of you that are mad at Lou about a certain speech he made a while back, not getting into that, you know, just as him as a coach. Uh, and, and But that made, that made a lot of sense and always stuck with me because, you know, being in this business – you know, you need to say what you think and what you know and pass along information and intel and, and use your sources and report what they say. Um, and you should never feel like you have to, like, you're worried about hurting someone's feelings if you say somebody's doing well and then, then that other player's competing for the position and automatically everybody jumps on you and it's like, oh, you're saying he's not that good. No, that's not the case. Um but again, you know, it's a it's it's football is about winning and losing, and so I guess when you talk about a job, there will be a winner and a loser. But that doesn't necessarily mean you know the other person sucked. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And I'll and I'll be honest with you too. When I watched the film on Colin Hill, I think he does a lot of good things and did a lot of good things at Colorado State. I can see why he had the job. I also can see uh, you know uh, look at you know what he did when he first got the job before he got hurt, eight touchdowns, two picks. Then he kind of played a longer season and, and seven touchdowns, seven interceptions. Maybe the production wasn't quite as good. But then at the end, you know, when he got hurt against Arkansas, um, he was completing, what, 67% of his passes, six, you know, eight touchdowns, two picks at the time, really making the offense go. And, and so I think, I think competition is a good thing. Uh, I'll continue to tell you what I'm hearing on the job. Um, if Ryan Holinsky wins the job, I want to let you guys know I'm, I'm not going to be sad or feel like I was wrong. <laughs> I think it's just that Ryan Holinsky won the job. I mean, and, and that's a good thing for South Carolina because, you know, if you're Ryan Holinsky and you got a lot of talent and 
you're learning a new system, whereas Colin Hill's not, uh, and you beat him out, that means you've got a pretty good grasp of the system because Mike Bobo is probably not going to play if you don't know how to execute the system. And that's the case with every quarterback. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep tracking that and see how that's going. Um, was glad to hear Will Muschamp mention a little bit of Rashad Amos at running back. You know, they're going to need all four running backs and maybe then some uh, as we move forward. Um, good to hear about the receivers. Am a little concerned about the depth on the interior of the D-line based on Muschamp's comments, what I've thought for a while and what I've been, what I've been told. But they got time to keep them coming on. Um, you know, I thought the Sherrod Green, you know, Muschamp said Sherrod Green's playing his most consistent ball and talked about how that's been his problem is he's been inconsistent, and that's true. And I thought Sherrod was much more consistent last year in 2019 it was such a bad year. It was hard to find bright spots, guys. You know, but that was a bright spot. I thought I thought at the end of the year, you know, you kind of look back on it and you go, well, you know, Sherrod Green and J.J. Enigbare both, as the season went on, played a lot better. Uh, and, and really for the whole year, Sherrod Green was a different guy than in 2018 where he just kind of, you know, had no confidence, then got some confidence – and then lost it <laughs> uh, by the end of the season. Um, so I thought that was good. I thought, you know, Damani Staley playing some Mike linebacker as a senior, uh, stepping in and getting uncomfortable, but doing it uh, is a positive. That's going to build depth there. Um, you know, Rosendo Lewis will be back down the road. Uh, Nick, uh, Ernest Jones, I almost said Nick Jones. Ernest Jones will be back. Uh, of course, he's the starting Mike linebacker. Probably Green's going to go to Will and be the starter there with Mo Caba behind him. You know, they're going to play Jamar Brown all over the place. You know, Jamar Brown could potentially start at one of the safety spots and then slide to the dime linebacker uh, in, in dime. Um, but he's going to play a lot. And uh, I think he's a guy to get excited about just based on the snaps he played last year, what his skill set is the toughness he brings to the table. You know, he's a physical guy back there, but also has really good instincts and ball skills, in my opinion. So excited about him. You know, safety's been an issue. Uh, but you got Jamie Robinson, who's pretty entrenched. Uh, and then he, maybe you got Jamar Brown there. Maybe it's R.J. Roderick, who I've, some people out there have given up on him uh, in fan land. But uh, I think he's got enough in him. Again, it's consistency. If he plays consistent, he can be quite good. Jalen Dickerson is back and healthy. Um, you know, and then you can rotate Mukwamu over at times, and then Cam Smith and John Dixon or, or John Dixon can come in and kind of uh, take over. So there's more depth on the back end than there, there was. I think that's a positive thing. What I'm looking for in that group, again, is the consistency. Uh, and for everybody that's kind of younger to take a step forward, and, and even even Mukwamu and Horn, you know, as good as they are and as confident as they are, those guys don't lose confidence, I tell you. Um, they need to take a step forward too, you know, and, and for that secondary to really be good. Um, you know, Brad Johnson's a player that, you know, a lot of the, the folks inside the program back in spring before everything got canceled, they, they were talking really good about him. Uh, and what he's going to do, he's going to be a Sam linebacker. That's a – they don't always play the Sam, but a lot of times, you know, last year they did play a lot of Sam. That's where Sherrod Green played. 
Uh, and Muschamp just kind of went on and on about him, and that backs up what I've heard. You can also blitz the Sam linebacker off the edge. They run a lot of odd and exotic-looking fronts when they have a Sam, and I'll, I'll, re- I'll give you a reference point. Go, go watch the defensive line in the Outback Bowl against Michigan uh, after the 2017 season, January 1, 2018, uh, and you'll see kind of what they can do with the Sam. Um, you know, I think Fennell played it a lot that day and they were kind of sending him off the edge. It gave Michigan's offensive line fits. And then Brandon Peters, who was the starting quarterback, who's now at Illinois, um, was a sitting duck for the Gamecocks. Uh, that was probably one of the better games South Carolina's D-line has played uh, in quite some time. And, and that was just a really good group. You know, you had Taylor Stallworth in there. Javon Kinlaw was coming on. Erwick Jones was a good you know, second guy off the bench. Uh, Dante Sawyer led the country in forced fumbles that year. And then guys like Fennell you could bring off the edge. And, you know, that was just a good group, uh, you know, there in uh, the, for 2017. And uh, that's kind of when you talk about a Sam blitzing package or whatever, that's kind of the example I was given on that. So, so look at that, but, you know, Brad's a guy that redshirted last year after he got hurt, probably needed a redshirt from the begin with. But, you know, there, there's a reason Bud Foster at Virginia Tech really liked him. You know, Virginia Tech over the years has made a living off guys like him. Um, came down to the Gamecocks and Hokies, and Gamecocks snuck him out of Pendleton, South Carolina, right there near Clemson. Uh, Tigers never offered, but uh, they're excited about Brad Johnson. So that's, uh, that's another very positive thing. You know, just going through the scrimmage. And, look, I, and I'll tell you this, you know, contacts and stuff kind of behind the scenes after the scrimmage, the, there weren't a lot of details, you know. But what I was told was it was just a good back-and-forth scrimmage. Uh, and and the, the, the phrase I heard a lot was this was better than we expected on both sides of the ball. So better than expected, both sides of the ball. People did mention Jalen Brooks. You know, I, I think at this point, um, it's kind of crazy to say, you know, that a transfer wide receiver from Wingate getting a waiver would be this important. But uh, I, I, that's the one guy consistently throughout camp that everybody's kind of been super impressed with uh, and the same way on Saturday. So, you know, that, that's just kind of what I got better than expected. Um, looking good, solid on both ends, good back and forth. Really pleased, you know. It was kind of a pleasing thing. Sometimes after the first scrimmage, you know, things are not good, either on one side of the ball or the other, you know, and that, that's happened. We all remember that. It's like, ah, I'm disappointed about this, this, this. That didn't happen this past time. Now, is that – what kind of sign is that for the future, for the games when they start? Tennessee comes to town? I don't know. I don't, I don't think it means much. I think you can kind of evaluate where every individual player is at – and uh, determine a depth chart and all that. But, you, you know, you got to go play the games. And then that's another thing about preseason coverage. And I'm, I say this every year, you know, because sometimes people, when you say, hey, so-and-so, like, like I'll, I'll give you Jalen Brooks for an example. Jalen Brooks is really performing well at practice. He practices hard. He, he's good. He catches everything. He's making explosive plays. Uh, he's a f- great find by all accounts right now. But that's right now, and that the games have not started. And when you're reporting on preseason, 
you know, you're reporting about players in terms of how they're performing in practice. And practice is a pretty good predictor of games, but it's not 100%. You know, so, so you know, very well could be. Jalen Brooks, you know, is underwhelming this year. I don't think he will be, but, I, I, I you know, you, you just never know because it's practice. You know, the offense, you know, you keep hearing they're making explosive plays, explosive plays this, explosive plays that. Well, that may not be the case once the season starts, you know. Uh, it, it's all relative to your competition, and it gets back to the fact that well, they don't go really – they don't go scrimmage another team. You know, high schools are going to do that. The pros, not this year because of COVID, but the pros have four preseason games. Now, some people think that's overkill, and I'm kind of – I'm kind of in that boat because by the time that fourth preseason game gets roll, rolling around, you're just like, man, let's let, the, let's let the real NFL game start. That's usually right before college gets cranking up, and you're like, I don't care about – the Falcons and the Jaguars playing a preseason game right now. The Gamecocks are about to kick off. We've got a full slate of SEC football this weekend, whatever. Um, but you don't have that advantage in college. You know, you just got to kind of go with what you got. So I always say, if we're talking about a player looking good in practice, that's just what it is. Not to quote Allen Iverson, but we're talking about practice. You know, we're talking about practice. So we'll see kind of what the – what the result is, but I will say as these things go from the 10,000 foot view or whatever, successful scrimmage by all accounts, got to, got to say successful scrimmage. You got to say as of right now on August, the last day of August, which, you know, in the real world or the, the previous world, but the pre COVID world, you know, we'd be talking about game week this week. Everybody be fired up. Coastal Carolina be coming to town. Unfortunately, probably for a noon kickoff, which would have sucked for those of you that went to the game. But you know, it, it was a this was supposed to be game week, so but I so kind of measure it differently now. But I can tell you right now, August thirty first, you know, as far as the state of the South Carolina football program goes right now, things are there's some there's a lot of positives from the leadership to how they've handled COVID to how they've handled the the, the social justice unrest. Uh, to must champ keeping everybody together, to the relationship with the coaches, to the new coaches making a difference, Joe Cox. You know, I I really think that, you know, regardless of what you think about Brian McClendon and his ability to coach receivers, um, sometimes you need a new voice in the room if you're collectively struggling as a group. And you need some new players too, you know. So I, I think Joe Cox, you know, almost quietly, and he's a different guy than BMAC. Um, is getting that group better? You know, how much better? We don't know, but uh, we'll see kind of how that goes. Um, I, I I do think, you know, and then you worry about the explosive plays to keep hearing about. Cause you're like, well, what what if the defense? What if they're just torching the defense and the defense isn't that good? Well, you know, what's going to happen there? So it's just like I said, it's just like it's practice. But you know, what based on what I've heard generally from contacts. Uh, and then Bill Muschamp backed a lot of it up in his press conference. It was just a good balanced scrimmage where there are big plays on both sides. And, you know, that's kind of, I guess, what you want, you know. I, as I, If I were a head coach, it would drive me crazy because I would just sit there and wonder, well, is our defense bad? You know, what, what do we need to fix on that side of the ball? Why is the offense doing that? Or vice versa, if the defense keeps picking off passes, it's like, is this just one of the better defenses we'll face? Blah, 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 blah. But that's the beauty of it, you know. That that's the beauty of it, and 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 I'll tell you this: 
I think everybody has those thoughts during every preseason, and then it all works itself out, and you you, you figure it out pretty quick. Um, although last year was such a weird year, I think after the Alabama game, most people would say, well, South Carolina's got a good offense. You know, Halinski can throw it, and they ran it pretty well against Bama and all that. They just couldn't stop them. And then the next week, the Missouri game happened, <laughs> and it was just – Ah, it was just critical. Uh, and then a couple of weeks later, they go to Georgia and win. And you would you would say after that game, South Carolina's got a really good defense. You know. <laughs> oh boy, I'll be uh, I'll be happy here in about a month where I don't have to talk about 2019 anymore. That season took a lot out of me. But um, so anyway, just kind of like I said, the 10,000 foot view of it. I think. I think things are going well. I can report that to you with confidence. Um, like I said, it's practice. I'm not predicting a win in the opener or any games this year. I'm, I'll have a season prediction for you, but uh, I haven't. I've overshot them the last two years. Now, 2017, I was under by three, um, which just shows you I'm not really worth a crap at preseason predictions. But <laughs> as far as win totals go. But um, I will have a prediction for you as we get closer. I want to see how some things shake out, work. Um, my takeaway, if, if I personally, and this is my opinion, this is not based on any intel. Uh, it's just my gut feeling. I'm worried about the defensive line uh, as far as depth, quality depth goes. And hopefully, you know, because you do have Pickens and Sandage and Thomas and Ellis in there. Um I don't know who exactly is all in the second group. Uh, you know, Boogie Huntley and Micaiah Scott are two true freshmen that are going to play. Uh, you know, I, so looking at it like that, you know, I'm, I'm, I do think there's some potential there. It's just probably they got to come on. Um, and then, you know, South Carolina too, you know, people, people don't – they don't want to admit this because I think when you play in this league – I don't care what kind of offensive line you have. And I'm looking at Georgia last year against South Carolina. There's going to be a day where your offensive line looks like crap. You know, they're talking about, I mean, you know, Kentucky's supposed to have one of the best offensive lines in the league. Well, they didn't really block the Gamecocks all that well last year when they came to town and didn't really block a lot of other teams. Well, when they came to town, um, and you want to talk about having goal line issues, go look at Kentucky's get lost to Tennessee last year at home. My God. Um, so, you know, Tennessee is supposed to have one of the best offensive lines in the league heading into this year. Well, after they lost to Georgia state in the opener last year, it was relayed to me that the Georgia state folks thought Tennessee's offensive line was one of the worst they'd seen. And they just got better. Um, so I think the tendency is to blame the line, and I think at every SEC school, you always go into the season going, ah, offensive line's an issue. And yeah, for the most part, it is because the defensive lines you're playing. I mean, you know, you're you're out there playing the best D-line in, in the country week in and week out. Uh, at all schools, everybody's got great players on the defensive line, um, including South Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Ole Miss. They all, they all have guys. So, you know – so, so, so it's, you know, there's a lot of naysayers about the O-line, but I think South Carolina's offensive line is going to be good. I mean, Eric Douglas winning the center job is a bit of a surprise, but that's good because Eric Douglas 
is a fourth year guy who's big and physical and fights. Um, as a recruit, he was really good. He's sort of been the Swiss Army knife guy, the Malik Young, if you will, of the offensive line the last couple of years. But I, you know, I never could he play right tackle? Yes. Is he a right tackle? Probably not. You know, obviously a guard, he was just kind of up and down. I mean, I, I've always thought like center was probably his best spot. Uh, kind of reminds me of uh, Chris White out of Chester, played center for the Gamecocks, I think back in the Holtz era. He may have lasted first year of Spurrier, too. Chris White may have been the center first year of Spurrier. But, you know, that kind of guy. And so I think that's a good thing. And you start looking at it, and you're going to have Sedarius Hutcherson, who's a fifth-year guy, lined up right next to him. And Turnantine, who it's a good thing he's lining up next to Hutcherson because he's a Juco guy in his first year at left tackle. Dylan Wanham is in his third year at right tackle. Then a Joe Von Gwynn, who's a – hard-nosed guy in their right guard. I mean, South Carolina's offensive line, you know, I mean, I think they got a chance to be really good. And they're going to need it um, because w- without Marshawn Lloyd back there running back, you're kind of looking for somebody to step forward. Fenwick, Harris, Amos, White. Did not hear White's name mentioned in the, uh, the, the post-scrimmage. So we'll see kind of uh, – I mean, I, I don't know if that's a concern or not. You know, we didn't hear Josh Van's name for a while, and then all of a sudden Muschamp's talking about Josh Van being the player of, of the day at practice a couple of days ago. So, you know, don't just look at like, okay, the guys he mentions are good and then everybody else isn't bad. Is bad. That's not the case. It's just uh, we'll see what happens. I can tell you this. I don't think there was any separation at running back from the scrimmage, like one guy stepping up. So it may be by committee. And, you know, if you can block – I think Deshaun Fenwick and Kevin Harris and Amos and White can find some holes and make some yards. You know, I think the concern about running back lessens the better they can throw the ball. And if this receiving core is surprisingly good, um, you know, it lessens that. You got to run the ball, period. I mean, you got to run it. But, you know, I think a lot of the concern heading into the year was, well, South Carolina's going to line up and, pound you with their run game and then only throw it when they have to or throw it selectively because they don't have anybody receiver. Well, you know, there's some receivers getting better and and things are picking up there again. It's practice though. So we'll see. All right. So I hope for, for those of you that, that lean toward the, uh, the don't want any sunshine and rainbows crowd that, uh, that wasn't too positive for you. Um, not hyping anything, just uh, I, I just think that, you know, when you look at it based on everything I've been told, heard, witnessed, interpreted, however you want to put it, right now, as it stands, August 31st, you have to be satisfied, you know, in terms of where the Gamecocks are in practice, um, you know, just, just in terms of like concerning positions getting better, i.e. wide receiver, um, that's a big deal. Um, you know, I also think that, you know, you look at it in terms of, you know, the COVID situation, you hadn't had many issues there. You hadn't had many issues, players opting out, you know, I think that that's a tribute to Will Muschamp and his leadership. Now, sure. As I say that something will happen, <laughs> not trying to jinx it, but I think right now, uh, here on, um, Oh, at eleven twenty-seven AM Eastern time, on uh, August 31st, I think the Gamecocks are 
in pretty good shape in terms of, uh, you know, all things considered that type of thing. All right. Thank you so much, you guys, for uh, sending in the mailbag questions. I will get to those again tomorrow. Uh, we'll read them right here. Uh, like we always do. Again, if you want to send in a mailbag question, it's inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Um, and there's some good ones in there. There's some good ones in there. I uh, got a Kurt Roper question. So I, I hear you here, Keith. Um, that's not Keith Allset, by the way. And Eddie, uh, I got your question here too. So inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at the Big Spur Pod, and we will tweet it at you. So it's not no problem. So you know, we'll see kind of what uh, what happens. All right. So thank you for joining us I'm here today on Monday. Go tell somebody you love, you love them. You know, hug your family, all that good stuff. Crazy world we live in these days, and uh, I hope all of you are doing your very best. I care about every one of you. I appreciate you listening. Oh, uh, by the way, go rate this podcast five stars <laughs> on um, on Apple Pods. And quite a lot of you have done that, and I really, really appreciate it. So we will holla at you soon. This is Inside the Gamecocks. This has been J.C. Sherbert.